our brother Kevin did a marvelous job preaching on freedom. Let me quote brother Kevin from last week. Christian freedom looks like a basket of fruit. By the way, he's trying to one-up me. He dressed cool last week, left his shirt untucked, and then he gave handouts on the way that you could eat. So when you leave here, everybody's going to get a fully cooked brisket today. Not just... That was good. Uh, That's not true, by the way. Uh, Anyway, you're all getting Hershey bars. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, So he said, Christian freedom looks like a basket of fruit. If we are free in Christ, then our lives are filled with the fruit of the Spirit. God the Father created us. God the Son redeemed us. And God the Holy Spirit guides us in serving and reaching others. When our desires become aligned with the Holy Spirit, our lives are filled with the fruit of the Spirit. We minimize our faults and maximize our fruits. Amen. What a great, great quote. Um, And he did just a marvelous job. And so I want you to understand that it is is in the spirit of that, that we're going to use a little bit of different word today because I believe that as he outlined what it means to be free in Christ, right? Uh, We can look at the law, but listen, the law cannot do what Christ did. Amen. The law identified sin, but the law cannot cleanse sin. And so now we're free in Christ. Now, I want you to understand that that there are still laws that are the Ten Commandments are still as applicable today as they always were. But you have to look at the the full law, right? Uh, The 613 or whatever, however many laws, the Mosaic laws there were, uh, the laws uh, that were eating, right? There were the laws on what to eat and what you could not eat, uh, laws on cleanliness, all these different laws, right? Uh, That were, a lot of them were ceremonial. A lot of them had to do with worship in the temple because they had to do sacrifice. But listen, when Christ came, he completed the law, He didn't do away with it. It is now completed so that we can live free in Christ. Amen. And because that we understand that it's still thou shalt not murder is still as alive today as it ever was. Right. So all those things that we that we think of, right, that that are wrong when we think about the Ten Commandments, those things still exist and they are still intact. God's commandments are still alive. But all of those mosaic laws that surrounded, uh, again, the ceremonial and the worship laws, all those things have been completed now. No more sacrifices needed. What Jesus did on the cross is final and complete. Amen. And we can live freely today. And while we're living free in Christ, we realize is that we have liberties. There are things that are not written in the Word of God, but those are things that sometimes come up as questions of whether I should do them or not do them. And so Paul was writing to the Corinthian church because they were struggling in to live in this freedom in Christ. And he talks about something. So I, I'm going to use the word liberty this morning. And liberty, uh, I want to use it in the context of liberty to live inside the freedom that Christ provided. Amen. You understand what I mean by that, right? We have this freedom to live in Christ, uh, not bound by all of those laws. Those laws have been completed. I can now listen. Ham has never tasted so good. Amen. You know, I, I realize sometimes I look at breakfast. Uh, uh, by the way, our promotional, our, our West Virginia State promotional director uh, was up this weekend. I, I kind of didn't know he was coming. Uh, we ended up going, and uh, by the way, I told the clothing closet people I was having a meeting with him. Uh, I was going to have a meeting with him. And I did have a meeting with him over breakfast at uh, Mountain View Diner. It's good, isn't it? We called that a meeting because we discussed things, right? But I got to have a meeting with bacon in it. That's always good. I looked down at that bacon and I thought, "Mm, mm, mm-mm-mm. Just to think those Jews never got to taste bacon. You're talking about a sacrifice. Wow. Right? But listen, we have liberties inside our freedom. There are things that that, that we know that have been completed. There are things that that we we get questions about, can I do this or can I do that? And so we want to talk about liberties today. And we want to talk about how to understand and how to decide which are good and which are bad. Because there are some things that are not written in a specific way. So let me tell you a story. There was a great preacher named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I don't think there's a preacher alive today that probably has not quoted Spurgeon at one point or another. 
Anybody that, that, is, that is a reader, right? Any preacher that likes to read uh, and, and looks for things to read at some point, well, if they didn't read sermons by Spurgeon, they've read somebody who quoted Spurgeon. Great preacher. Um, and I forget the name of his church, but it was in London, England, and he was known for great preaching. One of the cool things about Spurgeon is when he was preaching, there was like a cellar thing underneath the pulpit, and it has been said that he always had a team of people under the pulpit praying for him as he preached every service. So me and Jeff was, Jeff was up here looking. We're getting ready to tear this place up. And, and I thought, Jeff, can we put a dungeon under there? If we could fit a couple folks down there to pray with. See, you don't tell Jeff that stuff. Because Jeff will roll in here and say, you know, we could get a little bobcat between these double doors and get in here with a jackhammer. We could probably make that happen, right? So you, you don't ever challenge Jeff with, can we? Because the answer is yes. It's just at what cost, right? So, um, and we talk about these things when our CFO is not listening, by the way. So otherwise, uh, but I am excited. Do you realize in May we play this place off? We were talking about this week, right? Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah, we pay the church off in May. We're excited about that. So I was telling the uh, brother Ricky Holstein, who's our state promotional director, uh, about the church. And he asked how the church was doing. Uh, and I told him, I said, man, you know, we've been in a season of change, but it's changed for the good because we're in a season of simplifying and getting back to make sure we, we just want to be make sure that we are living in truth, preaching truth and doing our best to mature our church. And he's like, man, huff. Mm. He said, I just hope it catches on to other churches. And I'm excited because it's not about what I'm doing. It's about all of you. I was excited to tell him about uh, the help I have, you know, with Brother Josue and, and Brother Kevin. Uh, there was a time that I walked that I felt so alone here. It's not that you guys didn't love me, but I felt like I was so alone that it was just me. And what if, what if I wake up sick? And is there someone who can, it just, I, I felt sometimes trapped in that. And, but yet God has yet again built another team for us. You know, I lost Brother Scott and Brother John in a matter of less than two years. And Brother John, as you guys know, not only was a great piano player uh, and helped run the music stuff, but he also was a great preacher, and he would cover the pulpit for me. Brother Scott led worship. He covered the pulpit. It was just, it was so wonderful having that. But God has just moved greatly in our family again. Um, and so back to Charles Haddon Spurgeon. So Charles Haddon Spurgeon was just this wonderful, marvelous preacher, and today um, and by the way, he was also a Calvinist, and I had one free will Baptist go, well, you know he's a Calvinist. I'm like, yeah, I know. They love Jesus too, you know, right? Uh, but he actually preached against hype, what they call hyper-Calvinism because he always preached to whosoever will because that's what the Scripture says. Whosoever will, and exactly what that means is up to God. But that's what the Scripture says, and that's how he preached it, right? Uh, and so you would never, you know, in, you read any of his preaching, uh, you will never actually get to really think that he's a Calvinist, but um, there is something that Charles Haddon Spurgeon loved to do. Two things. Charles Haddon Spurgeon loved to smoke cigars. And he was known for it. And he says, I search the scripture high and low and I can't see anything in there about smoking my cigars. Of course, in today's society, we get the, uh, well, the Bible says your body's a temple of the Lord. You don't do anything to harm the temple. Back when he was there, I actually read a little bit about it. Doctors actually thought it was a good thing. He actually, on the spurring of his doctor, started smoking cigars because the doctor said it would help him. And he was also known, he liked in the evening a cigar and a glass of brandy. Now, some of you are going to have a hard time wrapping your head around that. right? But I'm not going to shy away from things. You know me how I am. That's what he liked. So there was another great contemporary preacher named D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was really known well for the Sunday school and all that stuff. So D.L. Moody went to go visit Charles at home in London. <laughs> I read this. I'm sorry. You ever get something tickly? You just can't help laughing. So D.L. Moody knocks on the door of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Great C.H. Spurgeon walks the door, opens the door up and says hello with a big old star in his mouth. D.L. Moody was, and he stepped back and almost kind of fell down the stairs. And he's like, I cannot believe you would have such an ungodly cigar in your mouth. How can you smoke that cigar and, think, and preach the gospel? 
says, so old Spurgeon walked steps to where D.L. Moody was kind of laying and pointed to his big family and says, the same way you can preach so fat, sir. <laughs> I'm fat and like cigars. I'm like, that's a double whammy. <laughs> Liberty. Now, let's be honest. Some of you, that would just, that would really, you, your conscience would not allow you to do either of those. And let me say this to you, I love you. And to those whose conscience are not bothered by that, I love you too. And you see that inside the freedom that we're given to Christ, there are liberties. But not everybody's going to have the same conscience on certain things as others. My grandmother was not Pentecostal. My grandmother was a Baptist all of her life, but still yet my grandmother never wore a pair of pants. Ever. Ever. In her life. Now, she allowed her daughters to. They had to learn to make up their own mind as to what they wanted to do and how they felt God moved them. But to her, she could not. Liberties. And today we want to look at what Brother Paul says about these liberties. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We're going to kind of go and look at... Um, I was reading Brother Kevin's notes again. <laughs> so we're going to continue with that suppository stuff. <laughs> and we're going to look, and we're going to, I like the term unpack. You ever heard of that? We're going to unpack the scripture this morning, right? Um, by the way, uh, some people questioned if you look at the Free Will Baptist Covenant, uh, our church covenant is slightly different. We, we wrote uh, our covenant based on uh, the scripture. Uh, and we spent a lot of time doing it. You'll see the Free Will Baptist covered inside the songbook. And you will see there are certain things that Free Will Baptists absolutely prohibit. Uh, I believe that's inconsistent, uh, sort of consistent what I mean, with Scripture. Uh, but I want you to understand just a little about Free Will Baptists and specifically their stance on things like alcohol. Um, Free Will Baptists go, go as far back as 19, I mean, 1702. 1702. Uh, Paul Palmer broke away from the General Baptist, right, uh, because of their uh, Armenian beliefs, right? Uh, agreement. So in 17, Palmer broke his congregation away, and we see the Free Will Baptist growing. Uh, then in 1920, excuse me, 1727, another gentleman uh, that New England area uh, by the name of Benjamin Randall also broke off uh, from the Baptist there, the Anabaptist. And also a sect that got termed free will. Now, how we got the name free will Baptists is they're calling them free willers, right? Free will because um, they, you know, when we did pre gospel, it was a matter of who will and that God has given us the free views. Um, and that was their stance, which I absolutely. Um, now, does God know who will be saved? Absolutely, right? Absolutely. God knows. God knows everything. So God knows who's going to accept him and who's not. But we fully believe in the scripture teaches that God does give us to choose because that choice, right? Uh, that choice is what's either going to condemn us, right? Or is going to cover us under the blood uh, is, you know, making this whether we're going to call him Lord or not. He gives us that choice, right? Um, we see several times in the Bible even saying, Jew this day, whom you're going to serve us, which Joshua said. Uh, and so, listen, we have free will. Why? Because if there wasn't free will, then do you really love God? Think about that for a minute. For me to love God, to love God, I have to have the will to not love Him. And so God gave us the choice of free will. He wants us to worship and adore Him as He loves us. And He gives us the choice, though, of whether to love Him or to not love Him. And so they got termed free willer uh, more in jest, but the name ended up sticking, and that's how we end up with free will Baptist. But in 1935, what we call the Benjamin Randall uh, group up in, uh, up in the Northeast, like New England, and the Paul Palmer group, which was down in the Carolinas, right, they came together and said, listen, our beliefs are, uh, are, are in line with each other, and we're two separate groups. Let's bind together for a denomination so that we may grow together and be able to collectively do more together than we could do individually. And that's the beauty of church. People who want to say that, you know, I don't need the church to be a Christian, you, you just don't even understand God's plan for us. 
You don't understand. And, and how can one person do what we can do collectively because the God designed us to be the church? He said, we're like a, a body with many members. Not everybody could be the hand or the foot or whatever. And so they came together in 1935. In 1935, it was in the height of prohibition. And specifically in the Southern movement, there was a huge movement of bootlegging and things like that. And so when you see the, um, when you see the covenant that's written in Free Will Baptist, understand their mindset in coming together. They wanted to make sure their church, uh, any of their churches and their leaders did not take any part in any of that. And so you'll see the stances that that's how it was formed. So I just want you to know that as we go through and we start talking about liberties, right? Sometimes people won't preach on this, they won't teach on it because it's kind of a sticky thing sometimes because in here and in this room right now, I guarantee you there are complete opposite beliefs this morning. Amen? But before you leave here, I want you to be united. And I'm not saying you gotta change your belief at all. Right? Let's look at liberty and let's be the body and understand that we need to all be unified on the majors. But there are things inside our freedom of Christ, there are liberties. But I want you to think about how you use them and how you choose them this morning. That's going to be the key. So let's read this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter. We're going to read verses 22 through 33. Since I've already been talking for a little while, go ahead and stand up. That way you can stretch your legs and get ready for the next two hours. By the way, Brother Jimmy called me Friday afternoon. He says, uh, or he actually left me a message. I called Jimmy Friday afternoon. He says, Bro Huff, you realize there's a conference meeting tonight, don't you? I'm like, uh, yeah. He says, you know you're supposed to preach, right? Yeah. He says, you sound surprised. Uh, I, I remember saying something about that. Yeah, I'll be ready. Well, I mean, if you ain't got nothing, if you don't want to preach, I, was, nah, man, I got it, I got it, I got it. And so when I went to go preach, I stood up. I almost said, I'm going to do what Brother Jimmy did at my church here about six months back. Brother Jimmy got up and says, I ain't going to say much. I ain't going to preach very long. I'm just going to say a few things. We're all Christians here. And he preached for 44 minutes. I said the same thing and preached for 53. <laughs> I said, don't let, you know, everybody was like, man, everybody saved. No, listen, I think God has heard for us. I've never seen a time where to get out of God's house. I don't understand. Um, and so we gave him what God gave us, not out of spite, but out of love. And, uh, and the Lord took care of it from there. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 23. It says this, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat what is ever sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we just thank you for this time that we have, Lord, to be together, uh, Lord, as your church. And Lord, we just pray today that you would speak to our hearts through your word, Lord, not my words, but yours. Lord, that you may be glorified and not me. Father, we ask for your help and your strength and your wisdom this morning, as only you can give, and we'll trust you for it. And in your name we pray, amen. Y'all can be seated. I want us to look this morning at these liberties inside the freedom. We have this freedom in Christ. We're not bound by all those Mosaic laws. And so now that we have, can you imagine, can you imagine being a Jew, having lived under this Mosaic law for so long, and now being told, you're free? I'm sure there's some that went hog wild, you know what I mean? Like literally. 
literally pass the hand. That's it. You do know what the first Jewish pork dish was, wasn't you? It was deviled ham. Remember when Jesus uh, threw the swine down into and put the demons in them, right? Uh, he created deviled ham, so we know that that's actually good for you, right? Uh, but terrible joke, right? Terrible joke. Yeah, it was. John was a smart man, right? But imagine being told that now all of a sudden you have this, you have these liberties. You're free. You're no longer under those laws and. And you can go out, and you still need to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things will keep you, right? All the other laws, all the other commandments come underneath of that, right? Love God with your heart, mind, and soul, right? Have no other gods before me. All the other things fall under those two laws, because that's what Jesus said. They all hang on this. And so imagine going from all these 600 and some laws, and now you're given this, go love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, love your neighbor as yourself, have a good time, you're free. I'd be like that pig on that commercial. Wee! Y'all remember that one? Yeah. Maxwell, we're home. Thank you, Mrs. H. Y'all remember that? Wee! Wee! All the way up. I mean, could you imagine all of a sudden being free? But listen, when you've, been, when you've lived under those kind of rules and that kind of strictness, and now you're told you're free, and now you need to go out and make decisions, imagine how difficult that must have been for some of them to really wrap their head around that. I know, I know a guy that was in the military, and then after he got out of the military, he couldn't help but to get up and do PT every morning. He was so used to it. He says, I, and he found it hard to, to operate because it was so rigid that he was told when to go, where to go, how to go, what to do, that he was so used to that that when he came back to civilian life, he, he, he really struggled with it. Matter of fact, he struggled to the point that he got in trouble, and you know what he ended up doing? Going right back into the military. It happened to be my cousin. His name was Steve Wilson. He got, when he left the military, matter of fact, he was in Vietnam, he come back, he, he just couldn't cope with normal life. And he says, I, I got to go back to what I know, to what keeps me where I need to be. And so he went back and ended up being a lifelong guy in the Army, ended up being a tank commander down in Fort Polk, Louisiana, and that's where he retired. By the way, after he retired, he only lasted about a year and a half. He ended up dying of a heart attack. But he says, I, I got to have this structure. And so Paul's writing to these, to these folks. Some of these folks are, are maybe Jews that, that have lived under the law, but some of, these are, some of these, these are Gentiles that have given their now heart to the Lord and they're calling Christ Lord. And now they're like, so, so how, how do I live? I mean, give me a list. And Paul's like, there's no list. You're free. And so Brother Kevin covered that in Galatians and his letter to Galatia telling them about their freedom in Christ. All right? And so now we're seeing here in Corinthians that he's writing this letter and he's telling them, basically he's saying, listen, you, you have these liberties inside the freedom that Christ has given you. You must love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, love your neighbors, yourself, and here, right, here you have liberty and use them and here's how to make your decisions. You see, this is what he said. He says, all things are lawful. But then he says this, but not all things are helpful. You know, two weeks ago, I, I talked about running the race. And, and the writer of Hebrews right, said, casting all your weight and sin aside and run with patience. Because that weight and sin are things that weigh us down. And so Paul is, is really kind of mirroring that here. He says, listen, all things are lawful. Now listen, when he says all things are lawful, it doesn't mean you can go out and murder doesn't mean you could go out and, and, and do those things which we know God commands us not to do. But he's saying in that context, when you look at the Ten Commandments and you look at these all hanging on these two laws, as long as you stay inside this framework, all things are lawful. Now, I grew up in preaching where all things weren't lawful. Y'all know what I mean? You ever, you ever grew up in that? Right? Preach against all kinds of stuff that wasn't written there at all. Right? Bingo was one that come up. I remember that. Bingo. Mm. Bingo. I remember Brother Jimmy preaching about bingo, and his wife was sitting there. She had just went the day before. And she, from the, from the, from the gallery, was, stop, Jimmy. <laughs> I about died. Anyway, gambling is one. 
I could name all kinds of things that we consider a gray area. And I'm not going to tell you what's right or wrong because this is something that you have to come to yourself. But Paul is laying here and said, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. So how do I choose what is right, what is wrong of? Well, let's look at that context. First off, is it helpful? Helpful to what? Your Christian walk, right? Love your love Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. So is it helpful in your Christian walk? And then the second question would be what? Is it helpful as I try to reach others around me? And to be quite honest, I will tell you that there are things that I would do inside the confines of my home that I believe are lawful, but the things that I wouldn't go and do out when I'm out in public. And does that make me a hypocrite? Absolutely not. What I'm saying is that they're lawful and the things that I may enjoy in a private setting, that when I'm out in public, I refrain from doing those things. Why? Because they're not helpful. We ask ourselves, we could also say, when you say, are they helpful, are they, are they safe? Are they healthy? Are they going to weigh you down? Is it going to hurt your walk? Is it going to hurt you uh, as you are running this race with patience and trying to pace yourself uh, and run in a way that is pleasing to God and brings Him honor and glory and reaches others? So the question is, is it really helpful to you? Or is it something that actually bogs you down? I'm going to tell you this. If you're doing something and it bothers you and you keep thinking about it, I believe the Lord is telling you by your conscience sake that that is not good for you. Yes, it may not be written in the Bible that thou shalt not. But if your conscience is bothering you and it's something that you're having a problem getting over, I believe that's the Holy Spirit telling you that I don't like you doing this and this is not good for you. By the way, everybody's nature is a little different. You see, there are some things that maybe a person can just enjoy uh, safely here and there. And there are some people that once they do it once, they, they can't stop. It's, 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 they have an addictive nature. And so while something may be okay for one person, may not be okay for the other person. It's not written in the Bible specifically as sin. But listen, if it takes over and it becomes the most important thing to you, then it is wrong. Because it has to fall in the confines of loving your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, loving your neighbor as yourself. If something comes to you and it becomes the most important thing to you, you have now elevated that above God. And so that is not only not helpful, it is sinful. Amen? So we have to look at that question. But, you know, we live in a society today that, that when people say, okay, to become a Christian, what we really are hearing to, in today's society is what? What can I still do and be a Christian? Isn't that what we hear? What can I do? What can I get away with and still be a Christian? And so, honestly, if someone is, is looking at it from that perspective, then I would call into question, is he your Lord or not? Because, you, you know, you got to understand that, our desire should be pleasing to him. But when we have that nature of, well, what can I do and get away with? What can I do and still be a Christian? What we're saying is, is we're still the most important thing, but I want to have some, some assemblance of looking like a Christian, but I really still want to make me the most important thing. So before I make my decision, I'm going to decide what I can get away with, not get away with, before I'm going to call him Lord, or before I'm even going to think about it. Or some people say, well, he's my Lord, but, but I can still do this or I can still do that. Well, if you have to come across in that way, then it's already probably bothering your conscience. By the way, conscience, is that really, is that necessary? Absolutely. Because I believe our conscience is affected by the Holy Spirit for those who walk in Christ. Because in Romans 1, it said what? That those people who kept doing wrong, knowing it was right, God did what? He seared their conscience. I believe in what they call a, a, a trichotomy view, that we have three parts. We have the flesh, which is one day going to melt away. I got a lot of melting to do, obviously. Then we have our eternal soul, but we also have our intellect. Our eternal soul will live forever. And I believe that intellect's part. Some people think that's just one part. Maybe so. I look at it as three. But that intellect goes... The Bible says for you to have this mind, which is in Christ Jesus, to, re to renew our minds. It said to, to live, uh, 
to give God our all and live as a sacrifice, you know, a holy sacrifice. To give ourselves as a sacrifice, which is acceptable to God. And to, to renew our minds. And to new, it really means to renovate. And so our mind should be different as we live for Christ. And so our mind is not what I can get away with. Our mind should start off with this. When I'm walking uh, in this freedom in Christ, looking at all the liberties that God has given me uh, before me, the first question should be, is it going to hurt my walk or the walk of people around me? Is it helpful or is it not? He said, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Is it going to build up my faith or help me in my faith? Or is it going to tear me down and constantly affect my conscience to the point that, that I really could become kind of stale in my walk because I'm kind of at this one place and I can't really move forward. I can't grow. All things are lawful, but not all things are good for us. I kind of look at it like this. All food is delicious. But not all food's good for us. Right? I don't know about you, but I just soon stay away from that fruit and veggie section and go straight to the candy aisle. Y'all know what I'm saying? It's lawful, but it ain't all good for us. I tell you, the moment my doctor tells me that Reese eggs are going to hurt me, I, I'm, I'm going to go to that doctor no more. Ain't you thankful? I'm thankful for that Reese company. I, listen, I, 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 I ask God to bless that food. It used to be they only had the Reese eggs. Y'all remember that? Thank God they started using the other seasons. We got Reese pumpkins, Reese Christmas trees, Reese hearts. I hope they come up with five more uh, uh, holidays so we can have Reese things in them. Amen? And there's something about that peanut butter and the way it is in those Reese eggs that is different than a Reese cup. Amen. I heard amens. What would your preacher preach on? Reese's. He preached on Reese's. I don't know what else he said. But Reese's is good. You know, I, 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 would, I would eat more vegetables. Some people like that kale. I'd eat kale if it tasted like a Reese's cup. Wouldn't you? I can tell you this. If you want to know what's good or bad to eat, if it tastes good, spit it out. It ain't no good for you. But you know, you know, hillbillies, you know what we do? We take something good for you, like collard greens, that's good for you. Man, we put in fat back. <laughs> and what my mother used to say, we cook the snot out of them, amen? I don't know if that's a term they use on the health channel and the cooking channel or not. So you're going to put this in a crock pot and set it for low, and you're going to cook the snot out of it. That's, that's, I doubt that's in the recipe book. But that's what Paul's saying here. All things are lawful. I could go in and choose the Reese egg or Reese tree. But is it helpful to me? You see, i got to come to terms with it. I told Sally, you know, sometimes we talk and like, why don't you say, tell the doctor anything about your knees? I know what the problem with my knees is. And honestly, it would help my back too. But I know what the problem with my knees is. The rest of me is on them. Well, you know what I'm saying? The rest of Huff is on the knees. That's the problem. The knees are like, Huff, get off. But why don't you say anything? Because I'm not going to ask the doctor to help me with something that I already know how to fix. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't need some work done. But I know getting Huff to be a smaller version of Huff would do a lot. So when I walk into that store... If I want to be a better huff, if I want to be a huff that lives in less pain, if I want to be a healthier huff, if I want to be someone who has more energy and does and do more, be able to do more for God, then I've got to make decisions. So all is lawful, but are, are, is it helpful? And so I've got to say no to the Reese eggs. May, I think I'm going to start after the first of the year. We're so close to Christmas at this point. You know what I'm saying? Matter of fact, I'm working, I'm working on a gig right now. I'm hoping that on our, our Thanksgiving dinner, we're going to have fried turkeys. Because if you don't have turkey, you might as well fry it. Y'all ever had fried turkey? <laughs> That'll make you smack your mom, you know what I'm saying? It's good stuff. See? Amen. Lord provides. feel like Abraham out there with Isaac. Where in the world am I going to find a turkey fryer here? Someone just out of the bushes. I got a fryer. 
is it helpful? Does it build you up? Because maybe what you're doing is not wrong at all as far as God's commands. But is it helping you or is it hurting you? But then he says this, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Think about that for a minute. So not only do I have to ask myself, is it, it's lawful, but is it, is it helpful? Is it healthy for me? Does it help me in my, my Christian walk? But now Paul's saying, listen, that is, when you look at that part, that is love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, right? So in my relationship with God, this thing, though it may be lawful, I have liberty to do it inside the freedom that Christ has given me. I have liberty to do it, but when I look at my relationship with God, is it helpful? Does it build up? Or is it coming between us? Is it hurting me? Is it weighing me down? And then he said this, then ask yourself, what about your neighbor? I'm not supposed to seek my own advantage. But he says here, I need to look to my neighbor, right? Seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So does it hurt me? Does it, does it weigh me down? But then the second question, right? Love the Lord God with all heart, mind, and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So it says first, does it hurt you in your walk with God? But then secondly, is it does it harm your neighbor? Now listen, we could take this to an extreme. Because it's going to be impossible in this world, especially the world we live in. Everybody's offended. Lord have mercy. Right? You could be outside, be going, some Indian's going to come up mad at you. Right? That's ours. You can't take that. Right? Everybody's offended at something. Good grief. Right? You look outside, boy, I sure do like the sun. I hate rain. There'll be a group up here that's pro-rain to tell you, oh, you don't like rain, you must hate the farmers. You don't want stuff to grow. You're anti, right? I mean, it's just the, the climate we live in. Everybody has, not everybody, a lot of people have gone mad. So I'll, I'm saying this so you don't take it to an extreme. Because honestly, there is nothing that you can do these days that's not going to offend somebody. But I want you to keep it in context of what Paul's saying. Love God, love God as your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbors yourself. What he's saying is, is not, not, it's not about offending those people who just are looking to be offended. But in context, he's saying, this thing that you have liberty to do, does it hurt your relationship with God? And secondly, does it hurt your ability to reach your neighbor? Are you with me? It may be lawful. It may be within the confines of the liberty God's given you to operate and do. But when you do this out in the open, are you hurting your witness? Are you hurting your chances that you may reach your neighbor, that you may be able to reach lost people because they suddenly will challenge your testimony or challenge your walk or may even look at you and say, well, I don't think Christians are supposed to do that. And decide that they are not going to allow you to witness to them because you didn't fit the context of what they think a godly person looks like. Now, again, we could take that to an extreme, folks. You could paint your windows black and you could wear solid white and do absolutely everything perfect. And still somebody's not going to listen to you. That's not what this is about. This is about being real. This is about you knowing that your conscience tells you when something, even though you have liberty, something tells you that it doesn't look right. That it doesn't look good. Now listen, I fail a lot at this as well. Just like I'm sure we all do. But it's something that we need to have, an, it's something we need to ask ourselves on a consistent basis. Is, is what I'm doing helping me? And also, what does it look like around me? What you may be doing may absolutely be perfectly fine. There's no laws against it. You're not hurting anyone. But the fact is, is you're hurting your witness. Again, we could take it to an extreme, and I don't think Paul wants us to do that, but he wants us to be honest. You know who the people in your influence are. 
I know who the people in my influence are. And I need to love them so much that I'm sensitive to them because my greatest desire should be first off to glorify God and then to promote his kingdom and enlarge it. Amen? By the way, in, earlier in chapter 8, Paul kind of gives the Corinthian church an application of liberty so that they understood what it is. And I'm just going to read it very quick. In chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, it says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. The knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not let you know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to eating food offered to idols... We know that an idol is no real existence and that, there's no, that there is no God but one. For although there may be uh, many so-called gods uh, in heaven or earth, as indeed there are many gods, little g, and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things uh, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, uh, through whom we are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not condemn us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. So Paul's explaining to them, because what happens is, in the town of, in the little city of Corinth, there were a lot of other gods being served, right? Uh, there was, I, I forget, there was a lot of different temples there, um, and there was one specific one that I can't just, all of a sudden I can't remember, but there was a lot of things going on, and Corinth was kind of like the Las Vegas of the ancient world, right? Um, a lot of not only uh, idols were worshipped there and sacrificed to, uh, but there was also a very immoral nature of Corinth. I'll just kind of leave it at that. Immorality uh, being that a lot of their worship even involved um, things of a sexual nature and stuff like that. So uh, imagine the immorality that is just floating around this place is unreal. And so in the meat market, they would sell meat. So they would, have these, they would have these temples to these false gods, and they would sacrifice there. But once the sacrifice was done, they would take the meat down and sell it in the meat market. Well, to a Jew, that would just absolutely be, abs uh, no, no way. Right? But now we're living inside the freedom that Christ gave us. And we have the liberty to eat that meat because we know that those idols aren't real. They may, that idol may have a name and somebody may worship that idol, but to me that idol is nothing more than a piece of wood or a piece of stone. It has no intrinsic value at all. Why? Because I know there's only one true living God. And so you can sacrifice that idol all day long when you get done past me. Hey, listen, I want the prime rib off of that. What, what part do you want? I'm a prime rib guy, right? Prime rib. Uh, pass it on over here when y'all get done. You know? Paul's saying that meat don't have no value at all. Eat it, don't eat it. It doesn't really matter. It's not going to hurt you. But he says some for conscience sake struggle. So who would struggle with that? Well, maybe somebody who used to offer that idol, who believed that that idol was real, has now come into the knowledge of the one true God and his servant God, but he's still struggling against his former teaching. Have you ever known somebody that struggled? I have. I struggled against some of the teaching I grew up under. I absolutely loved my uncle. He was a great guy, great pastor, but I, I'd be honest with you, theologically speaking, we disagreed on some things, and I had a hard time getting used to that. I had a hard time getting past uh, some of those things that I was told was wrong or told that, you know, it, it, whatever. And then I look in the scripture and the scripture tells me something different. I really struggled against that. And I had to finally come to that finally place in my heart where I was able to settle it. To be quite honest with you, using an ESV translation was something I struggled with. It took me a while to be able to, to use a modern translation in good conscience. And that's what Paul's saying here, that some people are young in Christ and they're struggling because even though we know that that idol is nothing more than a carved piece of whatever, to them, it was something that was real to them. And now they're trying to walk in Christ, but they're still haunted by that former thing. And so if they were to eat a piece of meat that was offered to that idol that they used to serve, imagine what it would do for them. It would hurt them. That's what Paul's saying there. So Paul describes what liberty is. In chapter 8. And so now we see in chapter 10, he actually goes back to that theme. Let's go forward. <clears throat> in verse 25, he says, Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Now, again, this is a big deal for some of these people. Some of these people uh, are Jews who have now accepted that Christ is the true Messiah, but they're having a problem walking away from those 600 and some mosaic laws. Some of these people are serving Christ now that used to, used to worship idols, and they're struggling with that. So there's all these people that are struggling, and Paul's trying to help them and understand what liberty is. And he says here that, listen, that meat is not going to hurt you. You know, eat it, but, you know, realize that that meat is actually belongs to God anyway. When that cow was on its hoof, it was God's. And now when they took that cow and, and killed him and cut his hoof off, it's still God's. It doesn't matter what man tries to do with it. God is supplying your need. And so he says, listen, don't, don't worry about that. Matter of fact, he says this. Listen, you're now serving God, and if, if an unbeliever asks you to their house, eat whatever they lay before you. By the way, if you invite me to your house... Put something normal on the table. I'll tell you why. I had to go to lunch a couple days, uh, two weeks ago. I had to go to lunch with a, with a bunch of people in New York City. And we sat down in this Italian restaurant in New York City. And the appetizer of the day was baby octopus. Well, I've ate calamari. I wasn't prepared for what they laid on the table. It was a whole octopus. You can see the little suction cups on his I wanted to take it and start playing with it and see if I could get it to stick to the wall. It was this whole octopus with legs all curled up. And they must have deep fried him or something. I don't know how they killed him. But almost, listen, I was smart enough not to get it. What would you like for appetizer, man? I, I think Caesar salad. You can't go wrong with a Caesar salad. Because you ask for a regular salad, you don't know what you're going to get. It looked like some of the weeds and honeysuckle that I used to uh, cut down with a sickle arugula and all that just hey listen i order lettuce give me lettuce it's iceberg no taste i love it i want to taste the ranch i don't want to taste the other stuff give me iceberg so i'm like i'm in one of these fancy schmancy places you know what i'm saying and so i'm like i i'll, I'll have a Caesar salad please right. so i got something safe they brought out all these baby octopus. You should have seen that mess. Good. And they're cutting in them tentacles, and they're like, oh. So I was like, oh. It's almost like the time Mary threw up my face. But it had a weird smell, too. I'm like, listen, calamari, you don't see the head of that octopus. You know what I'm saying? So these people are all like, I'm trying not to look at anybody. You all right, Huff? I'm all right. Eating my Caesar salad, trying to keep my mouth shut. You know what I'm saying? So if you invite me over to your house, something normal, please. Soup, beans, and cornbread would be fine, right? Something normal. Anyway, he said if somebody offers you a house, whatever they lay out before you eat it, don't worry about it. Because can you imagine this? Some people are giving their heart to Christ, but their friends, their friends are not believers. Their friends are still worshiping the idols. But as a follower of Christ, I want to reach them. And so imagine that one of your old friends invites you to dinner. Paul's saying, go. Eat whatever they lay out before you. You have liberty inside the freedom that Christ has given you. He said, the earth is, is the Lord's. And understand that there's not anything on this earth that wasn't given to us by God. Just give thanks for it. Now they're living in grace with this liberty. Eat and be happy. But then he says this. But if they tell you it was offered to an idol, don't eat it. You're confusing me here. Isn't that kind of confusing? It says, but if someone says to you this has been offered in a sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you. You know what he's saying? If, if an unbeliever invites you over to their home, and they lay out whatever, just eat it. But if that person looks at you and says, by the way, I, I want you to know that this was offered as a sacrifice. That meat still has nothing that can hurt you. But what about the conscience of the one who laid it out for you? Because if that person mentioned it, then that person has a problem with it. You get where you're going here? If that person says, 
like if someone lays something out in front of you that you normally wouldn't partake, or even if you normally do, and says, well, I know that you don't normally do this. I know you don't normally drink. Or I know and they lay it before you. You know what they're doing? They're testing you to see. And you know what Paul's telling us to do? Love our neighbor as ourself to the point that I'd be willing to sacrifice for the heart and mind of that unbeliever. Paul is getting to the point that if that person brings it up to you as a specific point, that it must be something that is bothering their heart and their mind. And their heart and their mind is at this point more important to mine. Why? Because mine's on the way to heaven. But that unbeliever is not. And I need to care for that unbeliever so much to the point that I will give up a juicy, succulent, beautiful slice of prime rib. No thanks, I'm good. Then you go to McDonald's on the way home, right? Anybody ever done that? Somebody put something before you, you're like, I ain't eating that. You're like, no, I'm full. On the way home, they see you going through Arby's drive through Sal wanted something on the way home. It was <laughs> you see where Paul's getting here? We do have this beautiful freedom. And we have the freedom to go out here as Galatians 5 is the, the fruit of the Spirit, our, our love and kindness and mercy and all these beautiful things. And so Paul's saying, go out here and bear these beautiful fruit and care enough about your neighbor that even though it may be lawful for you to do, even though that, that meat ain't going to hurt you at all, but I wouldn't dare hurt the conscience or the soul of someone who doesn't believe. Why? Because I care about them. I'm on my way to heaven. Let be, whatever needs to be done in this body, let it be done. But I don't want anything to happen to yours because I want you to go to heaven too. And right now you're not ready to go. And so your heart and conscience means more to me than my own stomach. Your heart and conscience means more to me than me exercising my liberty. Why? Because I'll sacrifice my liberty to love you. Isn't this beautiful? Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. He's trying to help them settle their mind on how to choose to live in this liberty, this freedom that God has given them. And he said, listen, all things are lawful, but don't let anything come between you and your walk with God. And then also consider your neighbor and love them more than you love yourself. And so in those two things, now go live in love and bear fruit. But if they tell you that it was offered to idols, he said, do not eat for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. You see, there's things that even as being a pastor, there's things I know that you can do with absolutely no question at all. But if I do it, people will question whether they would ever want to be a part of this church. And I have to struggle with that every day in the things that I do. And I, I would love to tell you that I always hit a home run, but I always don't. Now, keep in mind there's a big difference between critical, judgmental Christians. Y'all know what I'm saying? There's a difference between that and what we're talking about here. We need to love and care for each other and not hurt each other's conscience. I need to protect my witness, especially as a pastor. And I, I, a lot of times I have failed in that. But I, I, I'm always having to take that heart check up. To be honest, when I go out and play music outside of here, I enjoy it. But every time I have to pray and ask myself, is this, is this okay? And it's not that it bothers my conscience, but I just don't want to hurt anybody. I feel like it's the right thing to do because... I feel that going out and eating with publicans as Jesus did is important because I can bear my witness out there and say, even though I'm in a place where you're at, as long as I sing and do what is clean and do that which is, glorifies God and doesn't tear his name down, it doesn't tear my witness down, that I believe that I'm living Christ out in the world. I'm going out into where they are because if we're waiting for them to come here, well, that might not happen. I want to go to where they are and tell them that Christ loves them. I heard a story one time told about Ricky Skaggs. They were playing in a casino. And he had the sound guy cue up the beginning 
of Are You Afraid to Die? If you've never heard Ricky Skaggs, it's an album called Soldier of the Cross. There's a song in there called Are You Afraid to Die? It's an old Leuven Brothers song, right? And in the beginning of that song, they actually had a recording of Billy Graham making a plea for their soul. He says, are you sure? Do you know where you're going when you die? And are you sure? You could have Jesus in your heart today. He said, they were, there they were playing this casino, and there are all these bells are ringing, people are doing whatever. And I'm not preaching against that, by the way. I'm just telling you this is what was happening. Again, that's one of those things inside liberty you've got to choose. And so he was playing. He had them queued up, that invitation by Dr. Billy Graham. He says, you've never seen a casino go quiet like you saw it that day. And then he started off with, are you a stranger to God? Think about those words. And then the chorus is, are you afraid? Are you unsaved? Are you afraid to die? Call on him while he is near. The moments are quick and passing by. He said he knew he made a difference that day because he saw it on the faces. He said, so he feels that God has called him to go to these places and to live as Christ. And in living as Christ, even though we go to those places, there are still things that we refrain from so that I can show people that I can go wherever God sends me and I can live Christ-like in those places. Amen? This is what Paul is going after here. This is what he's trying to get the Corinthian church to understand. We need to love each other to the point that I care about your conscience and I care about your heart. There's always going to be a list of people who are going to judge us and give us time. I was raked across the coals by a couple of preachers not too, well, I'd say not too long ago. Probably been a year and a half. Raked me over the coals over that very thing about what I was doing outside of here. It says, brother, don't you know the Bible says to come out of the world? I said, yeah, but the Great Commission says go into the world. Which one you want? And they just looked at me. So this was my reply. After I did that, and they, just like, they were like, you know, looking at me like I had three heads. I said, well, I'll tell you like this. You think Jesus ever sinned? Brother, how could you even say something? No, Jesus never sinned. He was the sinless Son of God. I said, amen. I said, but according to your rules, he would have sinned when he went to Matthew's party. How do I know? Because all of the Pharisees said, look, eating with sinners, going to a sinner's house. I'm sure Matthew's party was getting it too, if you know what I'm saying. They chided him for that. I said, so according to your rules, the way you interpret, Jesus would have sinned. I said, we must interpret Scripture with Scripture. When the Bible says come out of the world, you know what he's saying? Come out of the world's way of thinking because the world is self-centered. I'm calling you to be Christ-centered. And then once you come out of the world in your worldview and in how you live and become Christ-centered, now... As you've been strengthened in Christ, I want you to go out into the world and live me, live Christ, and love and reach others. That is our purpose, folks. And that's what Paul is really getting to here as well. Because I wrote this question, why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? And in a self-centered culture, in, a, in the today's worldview, I become the most important thing. And you want me to give up being me? I mean, that's what the world says. You go be you. You can go on being you, but you're going to be you straight to hell. Amen? You go and be Christ-like and live Him, and God is going to call you to sacrifice. And sometimes sacrifice is giving up liberties that are mine to have. Isn't that what our soldiers do that we prayed for earlier? They have the liberty to not do that. But they are willing, when they sign on the dotted line, you know what they're doing? They're giving up their liberty to live 
as their own commander and now fall under the command of the armed forces that they entered. They give up that freedom. If you don't believe me, go sign up, go to basic training, and when they tell you you get out of bed, tell them, no, I, no thanks, I'll get up later. See what happens. You won't do that again. So why is there somebody else conscious? Why, why should my liberty be affected by it? And Paul poses this question. By the way, did you realize that he quote, posed the question, but he never answered it? He answered it, but he didn't, right? He, it, it's almost as if it's a rhetorical question. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I give thanks? In other words, he says, why should I be denounced if I give thanks for it? Then the meat can't hurt me, so why, why should the other person affect me? But he doesn't really answer it specifically in that, but he does but not directly. He says, so, whether you eat or drink, because the last, the last five words of verse 33 is what we should be concerned with. It says that they may be saved. You see, it shouldn't rest in the Christian's heart. You being saved should not be good enough. Are you with me? You being saved should not be good enough. Christ came to save, and if I'm following him and I'm following in his footsteps, if he sacrificed himself so that we may be saved, we as his followers need to do what? Sacrifice ourselves that others may be saved. Now, I'm not talking about sacrificing on the whim of everything. Somebody's always going to find something wrong with you, and we always go to the extreme. How about we leave the extreme out of this so we talk about normal life? There's always going to be someone who doesn't like you. There's always going to be somebody that says Huff is not pastoring right, and that Huff shouldn't be doing X or Y or Z or anything else. There's always going to be somebody outside the fray, and there's usually people that say they're Christians, but all they can do is harp on me, because sometimes I look back and I'm like, what are you trying to do to reach people for Christ? If I'm doing it wrong, show me with your life how to do it. And that usually ends the discussion. Sometimes we're going to have to sacrifice. As a pastor, there are things that I know are lawful for me to do. It's also kind of interesting. Most people don't know until you get digging into the history that Charles Spurgeon, George Whitfield, D.L. Moody... All of them partook of things that today you would, people would pass out if they saw me do. I have the liberty to do them. But not doing them is more important because I want to reach lost people. You see, our purpose is an extension of Christ's purpose. Paul said, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Now, listen, that is the difference between not doing something to be pleasing to people, right? Because a lot of times we are people pleasers, but for the wrong reasons. Y'all know what I mean by that? Sometimes we'll, be, we'll do things that people ask us to do to make them happy because we want that affirmation. We want to keep that person happy. Sometimes it's just to not have uh, conflict, or sometimes that we are, our, our, uh, I don't know, sometimes our, our self, I can't think of the word I want to use, but, you know, we're down on ourselves. And we have low self-esteem. And if I make other people happy, then they will tell me that I'm good and it'll build up my self-esteem. That's not what he's talking about. When he says he tries to please others, it's not to make them happy so that they say, Paul, you're great. He says that he seeks to do well for others. Not to seek my own advantage, but that they may be saved. You know what that means? Sometimes people have invited me to go to things that I don't even like. But if they want my presence there and they're allowing me to be in their circle of friends, even though they know that they're not saved than I am, if they allow me to be in that, then Paul says that I become all things to all men in order that I might win some. You know what that means? Sometimes we get invited to things to do that we don't necessarily do, but we'll go just so I can spend time with them and be a part of that. Amen? 
There's also sometimes things I like to do that I only do with close friends. I only do with certain individuals because as I do them, like golfing, there are people I will golf with and people I won't golf with. Why? Because that's some personal time that I spend by myself or with other close friends. And I want to have the freedom to be me during that personal time. And I don't want a conscience of people around me, so there are people that I will go with and people I won't. Now, that's how I do it. That doesn't mean that's how you have to do it. But can you see what Paul's telling the church to do? What, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seek my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. This is not at people pleasing to get our way or to avoid confrontation. This is about loving others and genuinely being a loving person to everyone in a way that wins favor so that you may share Christ. This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 16. We also see it in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel of the whole creation. Whoever believes is baptized and will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. He says, go into the world. Philippians 2.14-18 says, Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. You know what he's saying? Even if I have to be poured out, my life taken as a sacrifice so that you were able to hear about Christ and grow, then I gladly do that, and I'm going to rejoice, and I'm asking you to rejoice with me. So that today is what I want to encourage you to do. Would you stand to your feet?